there. Okay. All right, let's pray. Y'all, please agree with me in prayer and help me preach this. Give me your best or your full attention. And, you know, feel free to amen it and get in this thing with me. All right, it's a team effort here. <laughs> and let's, um, let's believe God for a powerful time. But, Lord, we thank you for your word. We love you. As we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, thank you for the power of the word of God. And, Lord, we just ask you now as we come through Jesus' name and his blood that the heavens be really open, your glory be awesome in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would come and empower this time. And, Father, I just ask you by the Holy Spirit that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us that are going to be uh, a part of this service, that are going to be hearing this in any way. People, again, they may be, you know, driving down the road. They may be listening to this through the Internet or whatever. But, Lord, wherever people are, let the Holy Spirit move upon us tonight to give us the grace to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that our minds will be touched by the Holy Spirit, to be able to understand things maybe we couldn't before. The Holy Spirit to move on our eyes and ears to see and hear what we couldn't. Upon our hearts to be good soil. But, Father, let us be good, fertile soil for the Word of God. Let your Word go out as living seeds of truth spoken out. Um, your winds of your spirit carry this wherever it's supposed to go, but let those seeds land in good fertile soil tonight. Water by the spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, we pray there'll be a washing of the water of the word, that there'll be an anointing. Um, that your word will be like a sword that penetrates, a hammer that breaks through strongholds, and a light that shines brightly to dispel the darkness and deception of the enemy and brings truth and revelation. But, Lord, let everything be accomplished in through this. We stand on the promise your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it for to do. And so, Lord, we agree together. Jesus said the birds here try to steal the seed. So we're going to agree together. We submit this time unto you. We resist the enemy mustfully. We bind up anything of the enemy right now that in any way would try to hinder, distract, oppress, in any way resist this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. That would try to hinder the preaching or bring any resistance we bind it now in the name of Jesus. We command it to back off and go from this place. Lord, let your mighty angels just clear that out. Let there be a freedom tonight in Jesus' name. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your spirit. All right, so I've been dealing with, this is part three, about returning to your roots. And that's what the Lord spoke to me a little while back. He said, I want you to return to your roots. And so as I began to think about what he said to me, I knew it was significant. And he's given me a word periodically that will carry me through a season of time, or usually a couple years. And this was one of those significant words. And so I began to really pray into it, and God began to really reconnect me with the right people uh, in a fresh way that I really needed to firm up some connections there. And what I've been covering up to this point was that it's very important where you're plugged in. It's very important that you connect with the right people and the right root system, that you're connected to the right thing because the root has a lot to do with the fruit you're going to bear. If you want to bear a certain type of fruit and that's what you're called to, you need to make sure you're connected correctly because if you're connected to something that is totally different or against that, it's going to try to force the fruit to be different than what you want, you see. So it's very important to have the right connections be plugged in correctly. It's also very important to have the right covering over you. You want to have a spiritual covering, especially in these latter days, for it to be a covering that is for you 
praying for you, not against you. I believe that would be a huge door for satanic attack if the people that are supposed to be your covering are speaking against you, you see. So you want to have a good covering, a covering that loves you and will pray for you, apostolic, not something that's just some kind of a religious system, it, just because they provide papers, things like that. You need a covering that has an anointing, a covering that is a prayer covering, that there is spiritual authority that will be over you in the Lord. It's very important. And then last week we talked about lines of inheritance. You know, there, there's some people, for example, um, just to kind of dovetail from last week, there's some people that may not have good uh, family inheritance. Everything seemed to be pretty bad, pretty negative in the family bloodline. But God can separate all of that and like a knife just cut you out of all those negative things and he can engraft you in to a bloodline. For example, if you go to the right church and connect to the right people, there's blessings that will begin to flow in your life and down through your life to your family. And it can form a generational blessing. And so you want to connect. There's lines of inheritance. There's biological, but there's also spiritual lines of inheritance. So you want to get in line with lines of inheritance that you need in your life that will uh, be a great, tremendous blessing to you. So just picking up from all of that, I believe all of that is actually extremely important. I don't think that people are going to be able to see the move of God that they want if those things that I just said are not in place. If you're not connected well, if you're not covered well, it can hinder a move of God. So just be aware of that. So here's where I want to go with this tonight. I'm dealing with revival heritage. So the first thing I talked about was our, um, the Hebrew roots. That's huge. It's very important to connect to the root system, the Hebrew roots. I dealt with a whole service on that. It was interesting how much spiritual warfare I took coming to, you know, preaching on that. There was such a resistance from the enemy. So the devil did not want you to hear that. Then secondly, last week I dealt with Pentecost, the power of Pentecost. This week I want to deal with revival. And as I talked about last week, my life was totally revolutionized in revival, the 90s revivals. God moved mightily in my life. There was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's where my root system um, goes back to is the revivals of the 90s. And so... As God began to really powerfully move in my life, that established something in me that I believe is at work today in the ministry. So I want to make sure that I talk about our revival heritage in River of Life. It's no small thing that Steve Hill had everything to do with this ministry being planted. You know, he blessed it, prayed over us. Um, it was something set in motion by him. It's interesting because he, his heart was so much for revival and for soul winning. And to this day, revival and soul winning is a huge theme in this ministry, isn't it? It's like the centerpiece. So that's our heart. And how God brought, uh, you know, Brother John Davis, he was the ambassador of the revival there in Pensacola. During those days, he would travel and carry that revival everywhere he went. And he's become like a spiritual father and covering here. And so that's our heritage. That's our culture. And so let me just dive into this. I'm going to share some things tonight. I feel like it'll really help you. Isn't it interesting that Israel loved their dead prophets? 
but not their living prophets. You ever thought about that? Jesus said in Matthew 23, 29, he was rebuking the religious leaders of that day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all that, and the, the woes that he was speaking against them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn, adorn the monuments of the righteous and say this, you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with those shedding the blood of the prophets. <laughs> so you testify against yourself that you're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how we escape the sentence of hell. So Jesus, Jesus rebuked them. Why? Because they were sitting there saying, we wouldn't have persecuted the prophets, yet they were persecuting him, the greatest prophet, and were going to do everything they could to kill him. So it's interesting how that religious spirit works, isn't it? Very deceptive. And the thing I've seen, I've seen this a lot. There's people that, there, I'll give one story. I remember this one, one individual one time was talking about, you know, how much he, he really ad, admired Charles Finney, and I do too. He a great man of God. Saw a great revival up in uh, the New York area back in the mid to late 1800s and the second great awakening he had a an intercessor with him brother nash who would really just i mean powerful prayer warrior and and charles finney saw a great harvest and a major move of god and i just love and honor him but but this guy also has nothing good to say about today's ministers see today the word the revivalist of today it's 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 the same thing you see they speak highly of the dead prophets and they'll say well if I was living in those days, I wouldn't have been persecuting them like others. Yes, you would have. <laughs> yeah. You say that, but that those people have a religious spirit, and I guarantee you, whatever generation they live, they would have persecuted the move of God of that generation. Yes, they would have. They're just like their spiritual ancestors, the Pharisees. There's three things that God's really going to have to do to prepare people for revival. Number one is, is he will allow people to go through tremendous rejection they'll be like a judas you'll go through betrayals um, being stabbed in the back lied about betrayed all this stuff and you'll lose friends friends turn into enemies you'll go through all this stuff and you wonder why in the world am i going through this it'll be extremely difficult but god will be with you he'll see you through it he'll teach you what you need to learn He'll teach you to forgive others from the heart, let all that go, and all, it's a great preparation, but you know why that's necessary to prepare us for revival? Because we have to be, will, be able to handle the persecution that comes in revival. All the controversy, all the confusion, all the, the attacks that come, once God's put you through that, it doesn't phase you, because you've already been through it, you see. The second thing God will put you through if he's going to prepare you for revival is you'll go through tremendous spiritual warfare like you never thought you would. I went through warfare that I did not think that a Christian could go through if they were saved on that level. I didn't think you could. You'll go through warfare you would have never dreamed of, but it's, boot, it's the spiritual boot camp, you see. And boot camp is what prepares you for combat you have to go through it why is that necessary because you're going to learn what you need to learn 
You'll learn it, it through difficulties, through the crushing, but you'll come out the other side having learned so much, and God will prepare you to be able to handle the weight of that warfare that would come against revival, you see. You've already gone through it. Now when, when revival comes and warfare comes, you're ready. And God will also take you, number three, God will really take you deep in prayer. And you'll draw really near to him because you've got to learn to hear his voice and flow with him and move with him for revival. So just be ready because there's people out there that their attitude is, they, Israel loved their dead prophets. These people will speak highly of the past, but they won't like current moves of God. They'll be really against any fresh revival. Let me tell you something, guys. It's important you remember this. There, you cannot listen to everybody. There's people out there that if you listen to them, it will hinder what God's wanting to do. There's some people out there that they absolutely are not praise and worshipers. They don't care for it. Um, they're just spectators. And if you let those people dictate having the type of praise and worship God's called you to, they will kill the move of God in your church. There's people out there that they don't care for tongues. They don't care for powerful, deep prayer and intercession. It, it annoys them. There's something in them. And if you listen to them, they will kill the move of God in your church. There's others that they don't like tongues. They don't like the gifts. They don't like people falling or whatever. And, and it bothers them in the altar ministry. They don't like it. And they may get up and, and storm out whenever the Holy Spirit's moving in that way or something. But you cannot let that affect you. Those people will kill the move of God in your church if you let them. You've got to be very careful who is setting the spiritual thermostat in your church. It was interesting, Jesus said this as well. He said, beware when all men speak well of you. Remember that? Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets that way. So Luke 6, 26, woe to you when men speak well of you, because that's how they treated the false prophets. So in other words, think about the days of Jeremiah. Everybody loved all those false prophets, but they hated Jeremiah, who was actually the true prophet of God. All right, so here's, you know, I was talking about the third thing, God taking you deep in prayer. There's three things that God has to do. He's going to put you through betrayals and all that. He's going to put you through intense spiritual warfare. But he's also going to take you deep in prayer because prayer is what births revival. And so let's look at it for a moment. Now one of the things I want to talk just briefly about Steve Hill since he had an influence here. Um, but Brother Steve studied revival history, and I have too. I love revival history. There's so much to learn from that. And I believe by studying revival history, it's a way of honoring the fathers and mothers that have gone on before us. And you guys, I didn't get into this last week. I wanted to, but you know, during the days of Azusa, God was restoring back Pentecost to the body of Christ. He was restoring back the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues and 
And in those early days, 1905 through probably 1915, somewhere in there, as people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that was being restored back, you have to understand the price that they paid. Okay, those people many times were so persecuted by the religious, some of them lost jobs, they were, they were, they were made fun of, they were mocked, they were persecuted in those days, but they paid a dear price to stay the course so that we can have it today. And what grieves me the most is to see the Pentecostal heritage in some ministries out there that their roots are that. That's their roots. But now you won't hear tongues, you won't see the power of God anywhere ever in their midst. They have forsaken their roots. And think about the fathers and mothers of the faith that paid such a price for us to have that available today and they don't even want it. So Proverbs 23, 23, it says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Isn't that interesting? Once you've really paid the price for something, that's where you begin to really dig down in prayer and God begins to put on your heart that you're called to see a move of God and you get so persecuted, you go through so much, you have friends turn in enemies you get all kinds of attack all this stuff but you're you've stayed the course there's something about buying the truth there's a price that you pay through the hardship there and the bible says don't sell it once you god can trust people with things that they've really paid the price to begin to walk in does that make sense he can't trust revival with everybody but those that have paid the price he knows that there are certain people he can trust. And I pray that that's you and I here in River of Life. In Luke 14, 27, talking about paying the price, Jesus said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it will ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king when he sets out to meet another king in battle will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still far away he sends a delegation of peace so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions there's a price to pay Jesus said deny yourself pick up your cross and come after me there's a price does this make sense So we need to count the cost of a move of God. You need to count the cost of uh, being a soul winner. There can be tremendous warfare, but there's a great preparation. So let's talk a little bit more about that third point I was making about paying a price in prayer. I know some of you won't be familiar with these stories, but let me just give you a couple quick things. Everybody knows about the revival that happened in Argentina the mid 80s i think it started in 84 but during that time in the 80s carlos anacondia was mightily used to see an outpouring of the holy spirit you know went through the 90s and it was an awesome move of god but what a lot of people don't know is there was a price that was paid before that and there was a man that went to argentina back in the 40s and his name was Edward Miller. He was a missionary. And back then, Argentina was so hard. They, they viewed it as like a graveyard for missionaries. 
people that went there, there was such an antagonism against Christianity. He went there and he said that as he walked through trying to witness to people, people just flat out did not want to hear it. And what you do many times, missionaries, when they go to other countries, is, is they begin to do a lot of witnessing. He said nothing worked. Every evangelistic campaign, he said the people were very callous. They were hard. So as he was crying out to the Lord, he told the Lord, he said, if something doesn't change, I'm leaving and going somewhere where it's going to be fruitful. And the Lord spoke to Edward Miller and told him, he said, I want you to begin to pray just like you would 40 hours a week if you were working a job. I want you to begin to pray from 9 to 5 every day. And so as he began to do this, his other missionary friends asked him about it, and he was telling them what the Lord said, and they began to give him a hard time. Be careful who you're listening to. Is they felt like he was wasting his time. And he said, no, I've heard from God. Leave me alone. You know, if you guys want to go out witnessing, go witness. I'm going to pray. That's what God told me to do. And so he prayed. And he kept praying, and he kept day after day after day after day. It was, and he said it was hard, it was difficult, it was dry. How many have prayed when it was really dry and difficult? Okay, we've been there. And finally, he got to a point where he said, you know, he told the Lord, I'm given some kind of a deadline. If something doesn't change or you speak to me or something, he said, at this point, I'm moving on because th there's nothing that seems to be happening even in prayer. And so when it got close to that deadline, this other missionary brought his son who was not doing good spiritually. And as Edward Miller began to talk to his son, the Holy Spirit just broke in. That boy really was convicted, got right with God. And when Edward came back in, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said to him, See, I can bring them in anytime I want to. You get back into prayer. And so he goes back into prayer. He goes nine to five every day. He's praying and praying. And the Lord really laid on his heart to begin to ask others to pray. But you have to understand, when things, the atmosphere is like this, people don't want to pray. And so he thought to himself, God's put on my heart now to get some kind of a corporate prayer. Who's going to pray? And on top of that, the Lord told him, he said, you're to pray from 8 o'clock in the evening till midnight and tell the people if they don't want to stay till midnight to don't even bother showing up. So he said, well, you're putting, he's thinking to the Lord, you're putting stipulations where the one or two people that might have wanted to come, they're not really not going to come now. And so he, he made the announcement and said to the people that he had influenced, you know, he said, look, you know, this is what God told me. And so he had been praying during the day. Now he's got this evening prayer meetings. And the only people that were willing to pray with him was a timid girl. There was a backslidden man, and what he meant by backslidden was he was resisting the call of God on his life to the ministry. And he was married to his young wife. Three people, none of them seemed to be spiritual giants that were going to help him pray, okay? So Brother Edward Miller was just simply not really encouraged by this whole situation, but he was obeying God. You know, he was getting in there and praying 9 to 5. He was having these evening prayer meetings. And he was paying the price. And every evening he would pray with these, the timid girl, the backslidden guy, and his young wife, two ladies, one guy. Every evening he would pray, and he was desperate. He would say, did anybody hear anything? Did anybody see a vision? 
did God speak to you anything, you know? And he was really prodding them. Well, night after night, this was going on, and nobody ever had anything. But one night, one of the young ladies said, uh, I think it was the timid girl, if I remember. One of the young ladies said, well, she said, I felt like God wanted me to go over and smack the table in the middle of the room, but, you know, I really felt like that was pretty silly, so I just dismissed it. And Brother Edwards said, well, you know, it may be silly, but if God told you to do it, and she was shy. And so he said, well, as I tell you what, I'm going to go smack the table, and then he'll go smack it, and then her, and then you can go last. That way you don't feel silly. So they all smacked the table. But listen, when the girl that God spoke to, I don't know why God does this, but it's just an act of obedience, because how many know smacking the table ain't going to do anything? But when the young girl walked up there and she smacked the table, Edward Miller said it was from the southeast corner. The Holy Spirit blew in like on the day of Pentecost and just bowled them over. He said it was an awesome thing to go from dead, dry nothing to a major invasion of God's presence like that. He said that that timid girl hit the ground speaking in tongues. The young man that was backslidden fell underneath the table speaking in tongues. And then his wife said, me too, Lord, wham, hit by the power of God out. She goes, he said, he described it as like being in liquid honey. And um, the lady asked him, said, um, it was, uh, Lila was interviewing him, said, well, why do you describe it as honey? And he said, well, because it was thick, but also because it was so sweet in that presence. But something that night, see, it wasn't hitting the table so much as it was that they had prayed. You know, they had been persistent in prayer. You see what I'm saying? When it was dry and difficult, he was paying a price in prayer. With only a handful of people, I'm telling you, I've studied revival history. I'm just telling you that almost every time there's been a major move of God, it has been a very small number of people that prayed and fasted and sought God, okay? And anyway, so Edward Miller and three other people, they prayed, this major move of God happened. What he said, something broke in the heavens over Argentina when, that, when they did that. After that event, the smacking of the table, after that event, he said that the gospel began to be opened up on the streets. So he would go out now witnessing. Remember, he was resisting God. God said, go to prayer. Go to prayer. And he's like, okay. You know, he got it. Well, now he's going back out witnessing, and people are crying. People are getting saved. People are coming in. So he ends up starting a, a Bible school. And as he's in the midst now of this Bible school, there was a young man. This amazing story blows me away. A young Polish man named Alexander. And he was deep from those uh, forest areas in Argentina. He used to be a gang member and a troublemaker. He was very uneducated. He had like an elementary school education. And he was out in the woods one night. And he was praying because he, he really loved the Lord. He got saved under Brother Edwards Miller's ministry. And God had brought him out of such sin. You know what I'm saying? Some people really just love the Lord. And so when other Bible school students were in their beds, he would sneak out, go in the woods and pray. Well, he was out there one night praying, true story. An angel of the Lord walks up to him, and the presence of God that was on, emanating off that angel was so strong 
and not to mention he saw an angel in the woods it scared him half to death he takes off running back to the barracks man he's running to the bible school the angel right behind him you're not gonna outrun the angel right and so he's he's really hauling it anyway he gets back to the the dorm room and of course they lock the door so he's beating on the door and they let him in and the angel of the lord comes right in with him well when the angel of the lord came into the that room all those that were in that bible school they described this event they said that again it was like that other event where they smacked the table they said that things had been relatively dry but when the angel of the lord showed up they said the presence of god came in so incredibly strong and it was in the the anointing the presence that had come in was like an overwhelming sense of conviction that they began to be so convicted of their personal sin and so anyway edward said this as i was reading the account he said for 10 weeks the presence of god was so intense in that bible school he completely shut down any classes and said we're just going to pray and seek god until god finishes whatever he's begun and so this presence of god was so strong and edward miller said that he saw the young people there he saw some of them laying on the floor weeping for hours at a time and he said i honestly thought to myself how can anybody cry this much because he said that there were so many tears that came out of certain people that it would run down you know how the ground would be uneven it would run down and form a puddle and he thought to himself how in the world can that person possibly cry that much and he was just amazed that that the holy spirit was moving this intense in their meetings like this i mean they were just praying but here's what happened they began to weep for argentina so even though they had a revival in their their group argentina was still not seeing revival and so they began to really weep and, and and cry and not only were they confessing their sins which by the way is a major aspect of revival you know we want god to move and god's saying well first i've got to move in you you know let's get your hands clean and your hearts pure and let's let's clean you up first okay so they were weeping and asking god forgive me and they were confessing all their sins and repenting get everything right with god well then it shifted to they got under the burden of the sins of argentina and they began to weep and wail for revival see there's a realm see i understood this from ruby and addy the ladies that mentored me in prayer and i and i hear their sounds in my daughter and I was telling you, there's a deep call. There's a deep cry. There's what, what the Apostle Paul said, I'm again in the pains of childbirth till Christ be formed in you. It's an apostolic travail. But there's this deep groaning, deep calling out unto deep, and that's what was happening. There was a groan. There was a wailing that was going on in their midst. And Brother Edwards said it amazed him some of the things that happened, in particular the young man Alexander, who, by the way, remember, was, had like an elementary school education somehow he was caught up in an open vision and the people around him including edward miller were hearing what he was saying in this vision god took him up and he was seeing all these different places on the planet that in the last days god was going to pour out his spirit in an awesome way and alexander was here's here's the awesome thing alexander was telling them in the room what he was seeing but when he would go to a certain part of the world like the middle east 
he would say the name and the location where the Holy Spirit was going to fall in perfect Arabic. And then he would go to another area in Africa, perfect Swahili. He was going all over the world. God was showing him where he was going to pour out his spirit, and he was naming places. And, and Edward Miller said the two that he remembered was Toronto, Canada, which we've seen that in 94 to today, really, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which, of course, Catherine Coleman was based out there. Remember that? So he said that the, the young man was saying all these different places the Holy Spirit would move, but he, this uneducated young man was saying it in their language. How awesome is that? And so they were trying to write this down the best they could. After 10 weeks of really travailing over Argentina, asking God's forgiveness for the sin of the nation, the hardness of the hearts, the weeping, the wailing, the groaning, the travailing, they heard from God, and the Lord said, the lion of the tribe of Judah is, going, is roaring over Argentina. He said, I've heard you. There's 50 righteous that have cried out to me, and I, I'm basically going to move in Argentina and save Argentina. They heard from God. This was in the 40s. And so Edward Miller and them, he said, once that happened, they heard from God, the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to roar over Argentina. This is going to be my area. After they heard that, he said the Holy Spirit's conviction and intensity of the move of God lifted. And it was like the weeping and the wailing and the deep groaning and intercession turned into joy. And he said that it's almost like they couldn't cry after that. They had shed the tears. They had paid the price. Do you remember me saying earlier there's a price to pay? They have paid the price. Well, the interesting thing is in the 50s, and I, I'm going to really make a long story as short as I can, a young man named Tommy Hicks came to Argentina to hold evangelistic uh, crusade. He had heard from God, and he wanted to rent out like a stadium. But to do that, he had to get special permission. Anyway, make a very long story short, he ends up at, with the president of the time, Perón, and the man had a, a health problem. And Tommy Hicks prayed for him, the president. The man was instantly, completely, physically healed. It so impressed him, and he was just so in awe of the God of Tommy Hicks, you know, that he said, I'll give you whatever you want. And so he ended up getting this huge stadium. People came, revival broke out. It was significant. But see, those were the seeds that were sown the prayer, the impact that it had, Tommy Hicks' ministry, it was like the seeds that were sown in Argentina. And see, in the mid-80s, I believe it was 84, in La Plata. It actually began, you remember Sergio Scataglini, who was here preaching? It was actually his dad's church. And it was in that city where Carlos Anacondia started his crusade meetings. And the seeds that were sown back in the 40s now just exploded. And they began to, Argentina began to have such a revival that there were some churches that had to be open 23 hours a day to accommodate the amount of people that were getting saved. Literally, this is not an exaggeration, this is literal. There were some places that Carlos and Acondia went that the entire area got saved, all of them. They would set up their, you know, their platform and, 
and all that in the ghettos and the slums of Argentina. They didn't go to the rich areas. They went to the poor. And Carlos would get up, and I remember one guy, Steve and Jerry Hill, when they went there, this is way before Brownsville, they went there. They were, Steve and Jerry were actually missionaries um, associated with the Assemblies of God at the time, and they, he was an evangelist, and he was ministering in Mexico and all that, but because of um, some people that influenced him, he ended up going to, the, to Argentina and became a missionary there. And when he went to Carlos Anacondia's meetings, the outdoor evangelism meetings, somebody, a friend of his said, you want me to show you the power of what's going on? Because Carlos Anacondia would come out and, and he would begin to take authority and there'd be all these people out there at the beginning of the crusade, mind you. And he began to take authority and say, listen to me, Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. You're going to loose these people. And as he took authority, there'd be people falling everywhere, manifesting evil spirits. And they had a place they called the snake pit or whatever, you know. And they would go out there and they had people that carry them off there. And they would get them delivered and saved. And Carlos would preach to everybody else. There was such amazing miracles. But that man took Steve and Jerry back there and said, you want to know why God's moving like this? Let me show you. Underneath the platform, they went back there. Underneath the platform where Carlos was preaching was all these intercessors down there sounding just like Brianna's praying, just deep groaning and travailing in intercession. Let me tell you, when you have people praying like that, it's going to release the power of God. And I remember Brother Carlos, he's, he's gotten a lot older now. He was, at the, he was at Pensacola at that conference I went to, and he was down there. He was going to pray again, take authority over anybody that, that needed to be delivered and I went down as quick as I could. I want to be right in the middle of seeing this because I'd read about all that happened in the Archtime Revival. Brother Zach knows I went down. I wanted to see everything. Sure enough, people falling all over the place, manifesting spirits or dragging them off. So I was there seeing it for myself in Pensacola, not Argentina, but I wanted to get around that. But anyway, there was such a major move of God in Argentina. And Brother Steve got prayer from Carlos, and, and God was just moving so mightily. So many people getting saved. But it went back to the deep intercession. The price was paid in intercession that gave way for the move of God. One more quick story about that is the story of the Hebrides revival, which Brother Zach has an amazing job of teaching on here, so you guys are familiar with it. Let me tell you, there's a book called The Bright and Shining Revival, I think it's Kathy Waters or something. Do you remember the name? But anyway, Bright and Shining Revival. You can look it up. It's about the Hebrides Revival. Amazing book. But it's interesting because our current president has some roots. They go back to this revival. It's pretty neat. But in this revival, once again, the area was dead. The area was dry. Nothing was happening. The bars were full and the churches were emptying out. A generation was coming up that was not hungry for God. Sounds a lot like what's going on today. And there was a group of around seven to ten men that gathered together with a pastor in a barn on the side of the road in Barvis. And they began to pray. And they were praying every evening, just really crying out to God for revival. Again, paying the price. They're crying out for revival. It was dead. It was dry. It was difficult. And at some point, but see, these people understood covenant. And they understood that God was a God of covenant and that God had promised in the Bible. This is important because I think that all of us need to remember this. They understood faith in a covenant-keeping God, but you have to have faith. And so they had made a commitment 
they said, Lord, you said in your word, if we, as your people, will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and we'll repent of our sins, we'll turn from our evil ways, that's our part, that you'll hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. Our land needs revival. And so they began to pray in faith that God would move mightily in Barvis and in the Hebrides. And then there was two elderly women who also had such a deep heart for revival in their nation. And they were two elderly sisters that lived together, and they began to really pray and seek God. So it's interesting that two different groups of people were having the burden to pray at the same time. These elderly women began to pray, and God spoke to them. Now, once you hear from God, you've got to stand on that. And they heard from God that scripture that says, I will pour water on dry land. And it's something in the scripture about being thirsty. And they stood on that promise. They said, Lord, you told us you're going to pour water out on dry land. We are thirsty. You promised to do it. And they began to just bombard heaven. And as they were praying, God spoke to them and said, send for Duncan Campbell. So Duncan Campbell already had a series of meetings set up. He couldn't get out of it. But the old women had heard from God. Don't argue with people that's heard from God, right? And so the old women said to Duncan Campbell, you'll be here. And he said, well, I don't know how. Well, the meetings get canceled through a series of events that were beyond his control. So he ends up, just as they said, they're in Barvis. And he began to preach. Make a long story short, the Holy Spirit began to fall so powerfully in Hebrides. People were being gripped with the fear of God. The Holy Spirit fell even on groups of homes where people would stay up at night. They're weeping and repenting. They were gathering, even to a police station gathered, and a great revival broke out there. Many got saved, and Duncan Campbell talks about it. You can look it up on YouTube. He said many, he said all those that got saved in that police station are still saved years later on fire for God. Many of them went into the ministry. It was just an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. Same thing with Cane Ridge. I've preached on that, you guys know. Um, McGreedy, James McGreedy was, was just a man of prayer and fasting fire preacher he began to get his church to pray and fast began to get others to pray and fast they paid a price the holy spirit falls the red river revival it moves over to cane ridge and it was such an intense move of god people would come to cane ridge and by the hundreds and the thousands they'd be struck down under the power of god have an encounter with the living christ get up transformed and begin to talk about the people around them who they would fall under the power and have an encounter with jesus Cane Ridge really was like an open heaven. I believe that's what it was. In Hebrides, the Holy Spirit just began to move out like this into different areas. But at Cane Ridge, it was like there was an open heaven under that area. And anybody that came in there was being affected by the power of God very powerfully. But all of the stories, including Azusa Street Revival, every major move of God, every time, 100% of the time, somebody paid the price in prayer. Somebody says, well, how did the revival happen? They say, well, I'll tell you this. I, don't, I may not always know who, and I may not always know where and when, but I promise you this, somebody prayed and God heard them. Every time. You understand? I want that to really, us to really understand that there is a price to pay in prayer to see a move of God. 
It does not just spontaneously happen. Even the first great awakening, you know, those men that were involved were men of great prayer. The whole, uh, those that know the story, that holy club they formed and all that, they were men of prayer. But the Moravians, I believe, prayed in that revival. And it shook America, it shook England. But listen, somebody has got to pay the price. And just a couple more things, I'm going to close with this. I want to give you guys some stories of revival. But Azusa Street, so Azusa Street revival, so here's what happened with it real quick. Charles Parham began to get this revelation about the book of Acts, Christianity being for today. And he believed Acts chapter 2 was for today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit tongues. So he starts this Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. They began to pray and seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, seeking Book of Acts, Christianity, a, a lady, I believe her name was Agnes Osmond, if I remember right. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. You got to understand, this was unheard of at this time. And they began to have an outbreak of revival in Topeka, Kansas. And, and so over a course of time, Charles Parham ends up in Houston. And a man named William Seymour, who was a black man back then with the Jim Crow laws, he couldn't actually go in because of segregation. But he was so hungry for God William Seymour was willing to sit in the hall and just listen to them talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Seymour was just so hungry to see it in his own life. He had such a conviction that it was real. The power of God was real. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was real. That even though he himself had not experienced it, he goes to California and they hire him on at a church and he begins to preach on it. But listen, we talk about persecution. The people at the church didn't want to hear it. And they ran him off and said, don't come back, and basically padlocked him out of their church. He ends up, you know, let me tell you something. Just because you go through rejection like William Seymour, God may be setting you up. Because William Seymour ends up through rejection on Bonnie Bray Street at a house with around a dozen or so African-American people that began to press into God in prayer. William Seymour was praying like five to seven hours a day. They were desperately crying out for revival. And there was another man, Frank Bartleman, that was praying, and they had heard about what was going on in the Welsh revival, and they were hungry, and they, they wrote Evan Roberts. And you know what? He wrote him back and gave him some advice. And it really just stirred something up in them. And Frank Bartleman was so hungry for revival, and he was handing out pamphlets and talking about it. He was trying to kind of stir people up, and people sensed that something was up. Well, the Holy Spirit fell on Bonnie Bray Street right there in that house where William Seymour and those people were crying out for revival. And it was such a powerful, intense move of God. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. And people began to come to see what was going on. And so they had to move out of the house to that mission. But let me just say this. I'm trying to make all this. This is like a book, okay? I'm trying to make this in a five-minute story. So that mission became such a portal of heaven invading earth that there was literally at times a fire, a literal pillar of fire over the top of that mission. As a matter of fact, there was at least twice that the fire department was called because they saw flames over the building. And the fire department showed up and there's no fire, you know. But anyway, there was literally, people could see it. It's called the Shekinah. And really that has happened in the Bible with the tabernacle of Moses, didn't it? They said in that revival that at times the glory was like a cloud in their meeting and they would begin to sing and worship in the spirit. And they would, they, all they had was a piano. This guy would play. 
But they said that it sounded like there was more instruments as they began to worship. It was so heavenly. But anyway, as they began to sing in the spirit, that cloud would fill that room. And let me just tell you, in that glory, here's what happened. Let me give you a few stories. There were so many healings and miracles that happened in that glory. It was amazing. There was a man who came in drunk off the street, a young man who was actually probably around 13 at the time, saw him stagger in, realized he was blind. But, you know, the stench of alcohol, the young man says, well, sir, how can I help? He said, well, he said, I, I hear that people are being healed. So this little young boy, by the way, he's like 12, 13-year-old boy, says, yeah, there are people getting healed. He said, I'll pray for you. So the little boy lays hands on that man. The man's eyes pop open. He was completely blind. Now he completely sees. And the stench of alcohol lifts off him. The power of alcoholism was broken. That man ends up getting saved and becomes a powerful preacher. There's so many stories like this. I mean, for years this went on. William Seymour actually lived in the mission. He, he would stay up in the loft up there. But, I mean, they just night after night they had these meetings it was just an open heaven and they said that during the times that the greatest uh, miracles happened there was the time that they saw that fire over their head and they said that outside there was a fire that went up like this but there was also a fire that came down and intermingled and they said that they believed at Azusa Street that there was angels ascending and descending through that fire and it was during those times that the greatest miracles began to break out. There was a man that came in to the meeting that had an accident at work where a piece of machinery had caught his arm and literally ripped it off from the socket, like you could see inside. And as he came in, Brother Seymour and them said, let's pray for him. And the, all the people there saw this. It was on the platform for everybody to see. The man's arm grew completely, totally out of the socket grew fingers out of his hand, grew nails on the fingers right there in front of everybody. Creative miracles in the glory. There were so many teeth that were healed and restored. There were people that came that had no teeth, that teeth formed in their mouth. People that had um, all kinds of damage to their teeth. In fact, there was one person that had just rotted teeth in there and they prayed for him and all of that fell out and the mom was looking at him in concern because the teeth came out. But whenever the person, whenever they kept praying, all new teeth formed that were perfect. That's awesome. There were many stories like that. Tumors that were in people disappearing and all kinds of growths and tumors on people falling off. They prayed for people on a regular basis that had something on them, some kind of a skin tumor, whatever, they would just fall off on the floor. And they said they didn't know what, uh, what else to do other than they just kept a broom and a dustpan around and they would sweep them up and put it in the trash. One person, because of polio, had a leg that was four inches shorter than the other. They prayed the leg grew out in front of everybody. They got up and they started to walk, but they weren't used to it. So they were all, you know, like this because they were used to having one leg four inches than the other. And then they started, you know, running around praising God. Last story I'll tell is pretty neat. This lady that didn't really live too terribly far from the revival at Azusa Street, but she had lung cancer. And it had, 
you know, progressed to the point to where she just couldn't hardly breathe. And Brother Zach probably remembers this story because I remember you telling it when you preached on it here. But anyway, she was coming to the revival. It took her hours. She wasn't far from the revival, but she could only just go a few steps at a time like this. She walked for, I think in the book I read, three hours to get to the revival like this, just inch, you know, inching along. She was skin and bones. She literally was skin and bones. And they said that she probably weighed 95 pounds. So when she got in there, <clears throat> again, that glory cloud was in there that night. And Tommy Welcher was asking these people that were at the revival. He met them at a particular home that a lot of them were living in the 60s. But they were there in the revival back when it was going on. It, they were older now. It was like a retirement home. And he would sit and they would tell him all their stories. And he said, well, tell me about the glory. And they said, well, they said that glory cloud was, was thick there. And they said when you breathed in the glory cloud, like you would be breathing, they said it felt different. It felt like you were just breathing pure oxygen and life. He said little kids would play around in the glory on the floor under the pews, you know. And this lady had come and that glory was there. And so they began to pray for her and the glory of God went into her lungs. And she began to be able to breathe clearly supernaturally in that glory she gained something like 30 40 pounds just being in that service which is a miracle there's no way that that could normally happen okay she just began to put on some weight and she was healthy by the time she left that glory she was totally transformed completely healed all the damage was healed she goes back to her doctor her doctor so did not recognize her that he had her fill out a form of a somebody that was new coming to his office <laughs> and she said well doc don't you you know don't you recognize me he said well no i don't have we met and so she starts telling he could not believe it he said there is no way there is no way that you look like you do when i just saw you the other day this is impossible what happened to you and she told him and he was so blown away he goes to the revival meeting he gets so powerfully touched by god he quits his job and becomes a healing evangelist and starts seeing major miracles. And uh, this lady, when, when Tommy Welcher began to tell all these stories, there was a lady that contacted him and called him on the phone and said, I wanted to tell you, just in case anybody ever tries to argue with you about that story, she said, the, the doctor that I ended up marrying into that family, and I personally know all these stories from our family she, she, she said to him everything you said happened exactly like you said it she said I know for a fact and so it's pretty amazing all these testimonies and healings and miracles and thank God I mean we've seen some pretty cool miracles here but I believe in God and so when I say this I don't say it slightly I believe personally that God is about to do something in river of life I've had so many prophecies where there's going to be more of an open heaven, the glory is increasing, and we're going to see significant increase of miracles here. We've seen miracles, several, but we're going to see a major increase of miracles. And I believe that's the next thing God's wanting to do. And what God has spoken over us in River of Life is that he has a revival, like an open door, an effectual door, a revival opening up. There's a harvest of souls that's coming in, 
And I believe a major healing ministry in the glory, like that, like what we're talking about. But there's going to be a glory, the gifts in operation, major healings. And I believe that we're on the cusp of that. I don't believe it's far away at all. I sense it's approaching soon. So here's what I want to close with is this, is I tell you some revival stories. But again, let me emphasize before I close this sermon, there's a price to pay. It does not just happen. Somebody somewhere has got to pay the price. Carlos Anacondia, 1984-85, whenever it was, he probably had no idea who Edward Miller even was. A missionary in Argentina in the 40s. But yet, that man paid the price so that that great revival all those years later could explode. And it was an amazing, amazing move of God. Under Carlos Anacondia, they, they saw so many healings and miracles. It became so common in the Argentine revival for teeth to be filled with gold fillings just in the meeting without even getting prayer. It became so common that they had people come up and give testimonies, and they said, we don't want any more about teeth. Because there were so many. They said, we've already heard 100 testimonies about teeth. Something other than teeth, please. And so people started coming telling all these stories and that. Tell one more real quick, and I'm going to close. Carlos Anaconda, my favorite story in the Argentine revival. You guys have heard it, but I love this story. So this lady comes, and she brings a prayer cloth. And she says, I want you to pray for my son. He had Down syndrome. And you remember when people are born with Down syndrome, their facial features, you can tell. Well, he was living in a home for those type of children. So Brother Carlos and them pray and believe God. She takes the handkerchief back to the home. She throws it on her son. As soon as the handkerchief hits her son, his facial features turn to normal. He comes to his right mind and is healed. There's another lady that has a son with the same condition in the room. And she saw what happened. So she jumps this lady and starts kind of fighting with her to get the handkerchief. <laughs> True story. She ends up getting the handkerchief, throws it on her son. Her son is healed the same as that son. Isn't that something? Major miracles. Again, all of it's biblical. Remember the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 19. It's why it's so important people know their Bible, okay? The Apostle Paul, same thing. Handkerchiefs and aprons prayed over, sent out, major miracles broke out. All right. This is how I wanted to close this, is this way. We've got to guard the fire in our own personal lives. So if you're writing something down, make sure to remember this. We have to do a couple things in our own personal life. Number one, we have to walk in forgiveness. Do not go to bed with unforgiveness. Just make it a point in your life that you've made up your mind that you will never go to sleep for the rest of your life without making sure you've forgiven everybody. Doesn't matter what anybody does to you. That's their problem, isn't it? Our responsibility is we forgive them. No matter what they've done, we've got to walk in forgiveness. And when I went to Pensacola in 2012, I went there many times, but as I took a group with me in 2012, we went there, and I remember I asked some of the, the older individuals that worked the altars because I knew they had a youth conference and things but I wanted to go find those that prayed for people in the revival so I found some precious older women 
And I said, would you guys come pray for my group? Man, the power of God hit so hard. But I, I told them about what I was saying about forgiveness and stuff. And they lo- that lady looked at me. I'll never forget it because the way she said it to me was really special. She said, it's very important that you always forgive people immediately. She said, don't harbor it at all. Keep yourself pure. It's very important. That's number one. Number two, that phrase, keep yourself pure. Be careful what you're watching on television and movies. Sit down. Be careful what you're watching on television and movies and all these other things that are going on. Just be careful that you're guarding yourself. Guard your eyes. What's going in your eyes? What's going in your ears? What is influencing you? What's being spewed on you? Keep yourself pure. Don't let a bunch of garbage in your life. You know, as a pastor, I really wish that... I love... I'm thankful for modern technology up to a point. But, you know, the thought of all these people coming in with phones and things that they're not sanctified, they don't know any better, what are they going to be watching and listening to and doing in church? just doesn't really sit well with me, to be honest with you. We just have to trust God to keep the atmosphere purged of all that and teach people. But keep yourself pure. Don't watch garbage. Don't listen to garbage. Get the junk out. Number three, watch your mouth regarding careless words, gossip. Don't say things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Guard your mouth. And then number four, stay under authority. So important. Don't try to be some kind of lone ranger out there. That's why, you know, after Brother Steve took sick and I went through this phase where I was trying to figure out how to properly connect and I'm so thankful I was able to make connections with those Brownsville roots Brother Kilpatrick makes some connections with Lindell is able to make connections with Brother Holt and John Davis and others and really have a strong covering over our ministry but you need a covering you need authority get in a powerful church and get under that authority there's a protection there but guard the fire. It's our responsibility, guys. In many ways, the fire, the torch has been passed to us. And it's our responsibility to keep it burning bright for the next generation. And God's about to amp things up. I'm telling you guys, I know you know this. I know you probably sense it. But God is about to amp things up a lot in this ministry. He's doing it incrementally so far so that we can handle it. But he's been increasing his anointing, increasing his glory progressively over a period of time. There's things going to increase. The heavens more open, the glory more increasing, uh, intense rather. And there's going to be such a move of God. We're going to begin to see things open up and see a harvest that God has said we're going to see. We're going to see that start coming in. There's going to be supernatural provision for everything. But God is about to do this. When this happens, we have to walk in forgiveness. We have to keep ourselves pure. We need to watch our mouths. And we need to stay under authority. Don't get rebellious. And the last thing I would say is this. Don't move ancient boundary stones of godly convictions. Remember the book of Proverbs. Don't move a boundary stone that was set. There's things that our godly fathers and mothers 
have convictions and they, they set those convictions and we've got to honor that. There's godly convictions. There's going to be great deception in these last days. And that's where you're seeing things in different places now that are feeling. The church world has begun to backslide. And you see it now on such a broad scale. You know, things that would have absolutely never been acceptable with substances and alcohol and things and you know, the tattoos and piercings, the foul language, the worldliness. And it's like all this yoga and stuff coming into the sanctuary. It's like all, all this pollution and filth of the world, disgusting filth, that the church would have never put up with, now has began to bleed in. And there's godly convictions that our spiritual mothers and fathers have put in place, like boundary stones to protect us and the Bible says in the last days it would be great deception Jesus said the love of many would grow cold that there would be many that would fall away from the faith these are perilous times I mean it's happening all around us you're seeing that all around you're seeing people's love grow cold you're seeing people fall away from the faith you're seeing uh, apostate where certain groups of people now ordaining homosexuals and you know i mean things are going a certain direction the bible predicted they would grow go it's great deception so this is what i would say to you river of life and those that we have influence with you're not going to be able to ride somebody else's coattail spiritually speaking you as an individual and me are going to have to have a strong prayer life ourselves we individually are going to have to develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit we're going to have to get to know him his leading his voice his convictions and his warnings we're going to have to grow up in the Lord and learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit we are going to have to individually make it a point to stay in the word and quit thinking that well I go to church once a week I get enough of the word that's not going to cut it we're going to have to know the Bible for ourselves because there's going to be a lot of deceptive things a lot of spin on the word of God you better know it for yourself and we're going to have to obey the Bible to not forsake assembling together we're going to have to get in a good church that's powerful and get plugged in and stay faithful so let me say those four things again individually a strong prayer life intimate relationship with the holy spirit stay in the word know it for yourself and stay plugged into a powerful church that's how your love will not grow cold and that's how you're not going to fall away and be deceived in these latter days and so what i wanted to pray if we could get my wife what i wanted to pray for people tonight in just a moment is i wanted to pray about godly convictions just like I've seen, I gave the example about Brianna maybe because everybody knows her, but I've seen this a lot. There's, there's things that happen when you preach, but there's also different things that happen when you pray. You lay hands and pray. You see what I'm saying? Some things can be taught, but other things have to be imparted in your life. When people have laid hands on me, for the rest of my life, 
I have no doubt that I will have a genuine burden for souls. You know where I believe that came from? Because Steve Hill laid hands on me for an impartation. I've, from that day till now, I have never not had a burden for souls. One of the first things when we started this ministry was, yes, we need to make this a house of prayer, but we're going to be out witnessing as much as we can. That goes back to Brother Steve. There are certain things that can be taught. You can hear that all day long. Oh, you need to have a burden for the lost. You need to have a burden. Don't lose your burden. You can hear that all day long. But whenever it's imparted into you, it becomes a part of who you are. You don't have to be told that anymore. It's there. And I believe tonight when we pray for people, I believe there's going to be like godly convictions, a love for the things of God, and an uncomfortable, uncomfortableness with sin. You see, there are some things that need to get rooted out of us. You know, when the Holy Spirit really starts moving or certain things start going on, there's certain people that start feeling agitated and uncomfortable because there's something in them that's rebellious and difficult, and God wants to pull that out, but he's wanting to put in us a love for the things of God. And I believe tonight as we pray for people, I believe there's going to be something imparted that has to do with really godly convictions loving the things of God, being hungry for the things of God, but at the same time feeling very uncomfortable. How many want to feel uncomfortable with wickedness, uncomfortable with the things Jesus is uncomfortable with, you see? And that's why I pray. I speak over those boys all the time. And I say something like this, parents that have kids that are younger, I speak a blessing over the young ones, and I bless them in Jesus' name. I bless you that you'll love God's house, his people, his presence, and the things of God. I bless you that you'll be drawn to God's people in his house. Those are your people. That you'll love to pray and read the word and praise and worship and witness. That you love being around the things of God, but also bless you that you hate what's evil. That you feel very uncomfortable around wicked people and places. You will not be among the house of the wicked. That is not your people and that is not your home. But you will feel so uncomfortable around those things that you want to get away from them, stay away from them, and even help others stay away from them. That's a powerful blessing. Parents, listen, bless your kids with that. But God can put that in you where you feel so hungry for the things of God, but at the same time you feel so uncomfortable around evil. You know, when something comes through, like some kind of really foul language or something comes through, it should make you uncomfortable. If you've gotten to the point to where that doesn't even bother you anymore, you're not in a good place spiritually. Something in you is defiled and has grown cold. The love has grown cold. Let God put that back in you where things make you feel uncomfortable to be around the wicked. You, that's not your people. We go out to win them to Jesus all the time in River of Life all the time we go out there to win souls but that's not our house our people where we feel comfortable hanging out with the wicked we feel uncomfortable around sin and evil does that make sense godly convictions and so lord we thank you for hearing and answering uh, these prayers tonight let this be sealed in all of us lord help us love what you love hate what you hate and have godly desires. Let tonight, let that be imparted in Jesus' name. All right, go ahead and shut down recordings. And we're going to need to... Um
We're going to need to go ahead and move chairs a little bit. Listen, put on some worship. Just begin to really enter into praise and worship. Guys, will you all do that for me after we move?